Hey, it's value after hours. We made it. I'm Tobias Carlisle, joined by Bill Brewster and Jake Taylor. Oh, Billy just dropped out too hard. <laughs> oh, man. Jake's in a helicopter above. Yep. Uh... Oh. What's happening, JT? What's up, my man? Sorry for being a little bit late. I was... Uh scrambling to get to the airport and just crazy traffic. I don't know if everybody's flying today or what the hell's going on. Yeah, busy time. I guess we're back. The economy's back. <laughs> I'm back. Bill's back. Yeah, Sorry. Back. I don't Absolutely. know what happened. Comedy of errors, but we got there. We made it. We were we were hanging out yeah. before we went live, waiting for Jake. And then once Jake came back, I figured I'd I'd have a problem. Now we're all here. The mouse is spinning in all of our places. Uh, like, the mouse at this end is going as hard as he possibly can. Can you hear this? It sounds like it's going to take off. What uh, what mobile service are you on, Jake? Are you uh, participating in the lead poisoning uh, cellular networks of, of yesteryear? Or are you on something uh, that's newer, like T-Mobile? Judging by your freezing, you're probably on AT&T. Verizon. There you go. There you go, just poisoning the earth. Let me do a let me do a quick shout Sorry, out. Sorry, guys. It's okay. We got uh, Senator Domingo, Dominican Republic, Kansas City, Highland Park. Salam from Dubai. What's up, Samson? Sugarland, Samson in Texas, the house. Roseville, California, Toronto, Moncton, Gothenburg, Minneapolis, Tallahassee, Norberg, Sweden. What's up, Pittsburgh? Munich, Germany. It's a good spread. See how Samson's doing out here. I don't know why why he's he's but you know what? He's probably retired and he's just like listening to us now, sitting on a beach. Yeah, Tesla's had a pretty good run. I respect it, Samson. I respect it. I saw Kavana is up like 750% for the year. Is yeah. that a lot? Is that good for the six months? Good for the half year. Yes, indeed. I think, uh, I think Sans, Sosin, I think he was buying, I mean, he had a lot going into it, but I, I think he was buying a decent amount, at least to top it off down there. So we'll see. Hopefully, uh, who knows? I don't know anything about that. Smart people on both sides, I guess. Do you think that the markets get quieter over summer? Do people? I don't vacation? think anything's quiet right now. Yeah. Uh, not the markets. I mean, the markets are up a lot. I just don't feel like there's a lot of people around. I don't know. Maybe it's like Yogi Bear and that restaurant. It's too popular. Nobody goes there anymore. <laughs> I, have, <laughs> I haven't looked at total volumes. Uh, Neither have I. I'm just. Yeah. I don't, I don't know. I, I, I have heard that a number of people uh, that uh, I've heard. I've heard anecdotes of people that have just said, screw it. I'm going on vacation. I think I think a number of people are confused and they're they're saying I'm going to take some time off and maybe when I come back either I'll see the ball clearer or the ball will be more deflated. Yeah. What what do you think you're you're you try to be or you are like less kind of macro economy than I am. What do you think? I don't know. I mean I don't think I Look, like I, I think I was looking at Microsoft today, and I think it's trading at like a two point eight percent forward free cash flow yield. It doesn't scream cheap, uh, but you know it's uh, what if so you're at like thirty five times cash flow ish. So if you are going to hold it for five years, and I don't, I don't know. I mean, I doubt you. I doubt it performs like get wealthy returns from here. But do like, do I understand why people that own it don't want to sell it? Yeah. So, I think that's. I, I think generally, quality stocks that I look at tend to give me that feeling. Um, and I think that some of the cheaper stuff that I look at, I, I don't see a whole lot of things that I perceive to be cheap from a bottoms up basis that um like i can't be like uh, i usually can say like oh this makes some sense why 
this is going on, but you know, maybe I'm not looking at, uh, I probably should be looking a little bit smaller. Um, I've got an, I've got a itch to look at natural gas. I kind of like natural gas, uh, as a theme and that's kind of where I'm at. I don't know. So I spend a lot of time talking to people about media and I try to say you don't have to be long something, but, um, Maybe it is the time. Who knows? Doesn't feel like the time to me. But I've I've been saying that for a bit. You there, JT? I'm back. Yeah. I'm gonna try leaving my video off. They're still trying to repress your your comments, Jake. It is a dreamy picture we get to look at, though. It's been a uh, it's like uh, I look at the underlying the the economic stuff. It looks looks terrible to me for the most part, but the market clearly is forward looking and has already discounted all of that, and is looking forward to the glorious decade that we have in front of us. Well, what looks terrible? What do you mean? I've got a long uh, a thread of a thread of bear porn. A thread of bear porn. I have to dig it up, but there was another. Uh, it's the I don't want to I don't want to tell you what it was unless I get the actual name of it. But there's like manufacturing's down year on year. I don't know. I feel it feels. I don't like the underlying, but then again, I've been wrong, so don't listen to me. Well, I I I don't think that you're wrong. I think the question is: Has the market kind of, you know, has the market been through digesting this data? Possibly. I, I will agree with you that it it's um it feels confounding to see rates where they are and not think that um and, and forget about like uh you know the tenure I think still makes some sense, but uh like short term rates are pretty high, right? So I mean what's what's LIBOR at right now? That's what a lot of bank borrowing is gonna be based off of. Um you know when that when that's so LIBOR is at five five point three six, say say like you're borrowing at LIBOR plus one point one point two five. You know when you refi, your your rates probably are going to go up if you had a swap in place and whatever. So I just I I don't know it it, it does seem like uh, the, well the cost of credit is objectively higher whether or not we have sufficient demand to kind of blow through that. I don't really know. Um, would be the way that I. I'm I mean, if thinking. you had if you had said to me twelve months ago, rates will be at wherever they are, the ten year will be at five and a half, and the market will be up over that period of time, I'd have said no chance. Well, if I recall correctly, we had uh, done our our predictions in the beginning of the year, and I chose the market to be down seven percent after I I said a, a down 12%. market. <laughs> so, uh, I I tended to agree. Um, probably, probably a big mistake on my part, uh, going against base rates, but, um, yeah, I mean, I don't know the, the top down theme that I've been thinking about a lot is the subprime consumer. Um, I, I suspect that subprime lending will do pretty well for a little while, unless of course there's another huge bailout, but what what do you mean by subprime lending? Like uh, credit acceptance, one main world acceptance, uh, stuff like that. Um, it's not like it doesn't make me feel great to say it out loud, but I, I think that generally the subprime consumer is feeling more pain than the average like prime consumer. And I think that if if I were a lending officer at a bank... I really wouldn't want to lose my job because we extended a bunch of credit to subprime consumers uh, going into an obvious sort of slowdown. So I, I think that there's like 2020, I think there were a lot of entrants to that market. I think there are fewer people participating in that market right now. And I think that that market is probably experiencing fairly high demand. I mean, world WRLD is ripped. So I don't think the thought gets you paid on that. But, you know, one main. There's uh there's some pretty sharp people that have pitched that recently, and I think that probably makes some sense. I don't know. I'm not a financials guy, so I, I don't own it, but I've been trying to 
trying to get smart. I have a long way to go. Redbook retail sales, negative 0.2% year over year. I wouldn't have picked that second negative point since 2008, excluding the lockdowns. What's, uh, I mean, I hate to do this on live, but what, what's, uh, what does retail sales incorporate? Like, does that, is that just goods, right? Because I would think like a lot of spending is shifted to services. Of course, if you're down and inflation's up five, you're losing a lot, but I, I do think this is mostly goods. Could be wrong. Banks will seem to be earning pretty well. Yeah. Because they've got everybody's on like 0.25% cash at call and they're getting 5% on the other side. Yeah. Yeah, there is that. I mean, I, I, I just think generally, I think generally the consumer is in pretty good shape still. Whether or not that continues is a fair question. Um, but, you know, we'll see. I don't know. As long as labor hangs in there, I think that there's a reasonable chance that, that they do. I don't know what that does to rates. And I don't know, you know, I think that's actually probably the best uh, bull case for energy, right? I mean, if the consumer hangs in and we can stay strong, I would think that there's a reasonable possibility oil goes higher than lower as yeah, other parts know. of the world come on. Above my pay grade. I don't know either. I, I did a podcast with this guy, Arvind Sing- Sanger, um, last week. And I think that's a fairly compelling pitch. I like natural gas, though, uh, as a theme, because if we do go into a recession and oil gets less expensive and they shut off oil, you get less natural gas production. So you could actually have like a weird scenario where a recession could create a little bit more tightness in natural gas and it's bombed out. So, yeah, it's kind of cheap natural gas equities around, too, I've seen. Man, you know, I'm going to sound like the anti me here, but I, I like the idea of buying commodity companies on a price to book basis. It makes sense to me. Tyson, Tyson foods makes some sense to me. It's just, you kind of got to sit there until you get paid. I like the chicken cuts. They were now it's, it's a lot of beef too, beef and pork, but you know, chicken got so consolidated that they got um, like they had an actual suit for the, against the Sherman antitrust for price fixing and they lost. That's kind of crazy to not, think not about. Not just how, market power, not just antitrust. Yeah, no, like they actually came together and were price fixing. Price collusion. Yeah. yeah. That's pretty amazing. That is amazing. Isn't that amazing? I thought they could do it with that. I thought that you can arrive at the same answer just by using that tit for tat. You know, they they increase their prices a little bit and just see what the competitors do. And if the competitors are smart, they increase their prices a little bit too. And then you get somebody who... Somebody always, um, what do you call it? Uh, somebody always leaves the cable because they can, now they can see that they can undersell everybody else. Yeah, yeah, they cheat. Prisoner's dilemma cheat. type stuff yeah. right there. Well, and then like uh, at the at, when I was at the bank, I, I think there were like 13 chicken producers at the time. And um, they all like kind of talked to Informa and then Informa talked to us. So there was like a middleman. But I, I guess that it's got consolidated enough that they all just kind of hang out and talk directly, or at least they did. I don't. I think the DOJ maybe put a squash to that, but kind of interesting. I don't know what that says for our food supply. There's a long. There seem to be a lot of stories in the media for a while about food production plants getting burned down. I don't know if that was unusual. If there was an unusual number, I don't know what the point of that. Do, do you remember that? Like uh, I don't, but I could see a, I could see a scenario where they wanted to get the supply tighter, so there were some fires. That's fathomable to me. Yeah, here we are spreading fake news. That's, That's speculating. Okay. It's opinion. It's a run. Google doesn't mind if we do that. We just can't say COVID. No, I don't think they care anymore. I think they've moved on. No, oh, well, that's good. After they demonetized us, all our Twizzlers gone. It's a shame. On the energy, you know, they I, I I don't I don't know what size the SPR is relative to to the energy market, but the SPR. I mean, I was you know I had the I had the um the big short guys on last week. Yeah, I listened. I as I hid under my bed, <laughs> and they um we were talking about the SPR, 
being like they, they the SPR is still being drained. I don't know what kind of impact that has on oil prices. It must have some, but it can't be relative yeah. to the size of the market. It's not huge, is it? I dude, I don't know. All these things happen on the margin, right? So. I mean, we're I'm way out of my my comfort zone when I talk about energy, but I did see estimates like second quarter estimates. I think for energy were down forty seven percent from the earnings. So you know, if you were at like a five PE, now you're closer to a ten. That like doesn't scream cheap to me. Of course, if it goes back up, then you're a five, and then it's cheap. But I mean, this is how the world works, right? I don't know where oil is at the moment. It's about long run mean long run. Ah, uh, yeah, I bet it's I bet it's like. Se- I bet it's 72. That would be my uninformed, quasi-informed guess. It's had a little rally over the last. 75, 84, boom. It's ripping. There you go. Yeah, I was up to my risk limits on on energy. Need a little bit of help there. That would probably help. Although I don't think it needs to do anything for, for those to sort of work. If you can just keep it around 65, 70, it's all fine. Break evens are much lower than that. Yeah, that's probably probably right until it's not. Who knows? But, but for the yeah, for the equity to work, you probably need higher prices. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I really don't. I guess I get what you don't want is destructive acquisitions. Seems to me. Yeah, you're gonna get that good and <laughs> yeah. hard whether you want it or not. That's why I don't love that industry, but uh, well, it's all, all cyclicals. All cyclicals do that. They all get religion when there's no money around and they become very good capital allocators. They know what they're supposed to do. And then the moment that the going gets good, they all forget all of that. Well, I'll tell you, if I was uh, to defend cyclicals and I, I wanted to say I something. Mean, I say this is someone who like lives on lives in cyclicals. Well, I would, I would just say, what did Disney do, right? With the acquisition. I mean, yeah. we'll see, but uh, it is does Disney not. Divesting? That, that's the rumor they're thinking about divesting. I don't really know. What's the benefit to them owning something like ESPN? Well, I, I mean, I guess it depends. Like the version of Disney that I can understand and believe in is a version where they own Hulu. And like I so I sub to Hulu Live and the Disney bundle and like my kids are into lacrosse, right? So I can go onto Hulu and when I see sports, I see ESPN plus it's like right there, but it's, it's seamlessly integrated, right? Like I don't really know that it's on Hulu plus it's just like kind of a channel within Hulu. And then I click, uh, I get all the NHL games. We like to watch NHL. I don't really care if I watch it live or not. We watch lacrosse, um, so I think like with that asset, it makes sense. I think whole, you know, sports hold together the bundle and, you know, to the extent that Disney wants to compete in, in that world and own Hulu, that kind of like, I understand that. And then, you know, you invest in like FX and some of your originals to acquire some customers. And then you've got like a, a holistic offering that I think makes a lot of sense to a lot of households because me and my kids can watch sports and my wife gets what she wants and whatever. Um, you know, a world where they're like a pure distributor and they're just leaning into sort of Star Wars and Marvel, I think is a little harder. It'd be nice if they had all the Marvel characters, like the rights to all the Marvel people in Orlando. That, that would make sense to me because like... What do, what do you mean? So if you go to to NBC Universal to Comcast um, Universal Studios, you hop on Hulk, right? Like oh, Hulk is not, a Marvel category ca- character, right? So like I I and then you get Superman rights or, or Spider Man rights are like super confusing. You got to go to my man Francisco for all this shit. But okay. I, I just um, it, it would just it kind of sucks that it's not all in one place because if they could own and then they could build out like Marvel world and then you've got star Wars and Marvel and all that, like that makes sense to me. Long story short, I think, I think sports protect the bundle. And I think to the extent that they want to be a bundle company sports makes a lot of sense, but I think you need everybody because nobody just subscribes to ESPN, right? Like CBS has football games and I don't know, man, it's a mess. I, I, I fundamentally, don't think cash cows facing structural headwinds that are levered are like 
the best way to find base rates of high equity returns, especially not when starting with $200 billion valuations. I like the underlying idea of Disney's business where they basically have, you know, they've got some of the great franchises ever made, Star Wars, the Marvel stuff, their own Disney, they got Pixar, like those are just incredible properties. And all you've got to do is just get all of your creatives working on stuff, pumping up movies and IP and content for those things and just make it better than anything else out there. I know that's easy to say and really hard to do, but you know what I mean? Like just find stuff that people really want and feed that to them. And that is just an indestructible brand that people have good feelings about. will just mint money forever. And instead they've got, they just do crazy stuff in there. I don't get it. And the mouse doesn't have an agent. That's, That's right. True. Yeah, there you go. It's the oil well that keeps on refilling, as as Buffett says. Well, I think I think Pixar has lost a little of its luster uh, relative to what it used to be, or maybe the competition caught up. Um, Star Wars, I'm I'm hopeful for. I agree I thought- that it has, but like that's that's their mismanagement. That's not. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think some of it is. I think some of it's just really hard to keep it going. For sure, I don't know. Andor, I thought was excellent. Uh, this new Star Wars movie, I think, is I'm I'm excited to see it. Marvel is tougher, man. They got all these worlds going on. It's like hard there to follow. Are kids who like, there are people who love it. I don't I get mean, it either. There are, I'm big into it. I don't love Star Wars and I don't love Marvel, but there are there are welded on fans for all of that stuff. Like I talk to lots of people who are super excited for the next like whatever it is coming up. Ant Man, come on. Who gives a shit about Ant-Man? <laughs> I, I kind of thought Ant-Man was was better than most, but I watched it on an airplane and it had me questioning if you could put like actual dog shit in front of me on a screen on a on an airplane, yeah. would I enjoy it? Yeah. I'm not yeah. sure. Low threshold on a plane. <laughs> yeah. I, I I was like, this movie's not nearly as bad as people said. Um I don't better know, man. Staring at the back of the seat rest. That's right. I just I think maybe there's a limit to how hard you can pimp out the same content over and over and over again. Yeah, Mark Gazzoth says Disney feeling is like Coca-Cola feeling. That's what I that's what I think too. In 200 years, there could be a Coca-Cola and Disney movie on our spaceship to Mars. Yeah. I thought it was only like five years away. Well, that's in Musk time. Musk years. Mm. I like it, Musk years. JT, while you're up and functional, do you want to do your Sure. Do you want to do I your think you're fully just back. in case you fall out? Uh, I just had to like run a mile to, from the car to find some wi-fi in the terminal so i'm, I'm a little gasped but let's do it it's a nice looking <laughs> airport it's a it's a lovely airport it's actually a hidden gym real yeah. easy to get in and out of all Makes right so we'll find it hopefully that uh you guys have been talking about something that might be somewhat tangentially related to the idea of uncertainty because that's what we're going to get into today we've been we've been pl- plenty uncertain don't worry about that <laughs> <laughs> i was going to make a similar comment yeah, look at that. we've got 15 guys worth of uncertainty on a three-guy call. That's right. Um, so I thought it'd be interesting to ask you guys, do you think that today feels more or less uncertain than normal? I'll buy it more, even though I know that the answer's not, that's not true. I know that feeling is not true. The feeling's not right, but I, I do feel that way. Yeah, I have been doing a little bit of research on the 1800s and fire insurance, and I would argue that today probably is more certain. Um, but I, I, said, I agree I with I the said feeling. Uncertain, right? Uncer- I said more uncertain. I'm going the other direction to. to yeah, yeah. I, I think I know uncertain. where. I think I know where JT maybe is going. Um, I, I agree with you that it feels more uncertain, but it's probably just in line with history. I don't, there's no, I mean, this is a subjective thing, so it wasn't like, there's no right or wrong answer here, but, um, but what I did. Still got it wrong. God damn it. Yeah. But also you're wrong. <laughs> we, we both missed. Um, I thought it would be helpful then maybe to look at uh, Gary Klein has this, he has five uh, sources of uncertainty. So I thought maybe if we like dug in a little bit as to what can lead to uncertainty, maybe it'll help us to you know, describe almost like emotions where like the, probably the better that you do of putting words to them, the, the more you understand them. So number one is missing information. Number two is unreliable information. Number three is conflicting information. Number four is noisy information. And number five is confusing information. 
Now, if all five of those sounded like basically all of the news flow that you, you and I have to dip our toes into, I would agree with that. Uh, what do you guys think about that? Yeah, I like that. I like that framework. Conflicting is different to missing. Yeah, there's a lot of conflicting information. Wait, yeah. so we, yeah. we got we got missing, conflicting, confusing, and noise, and what? Unreliable. Uh, yeah. Yeah. You know, so, in 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 the in the uh, there's more uncertainty. Like the conflicting information. How how long have we had two news channels that are just totally divorced from each other? It used to be one network television. There was one authoritative propaganda. We used to get all from... our misinformation from one place. That's, that's it. Now, now we get it from both sides. Two. It's very confusing. Um, that's right. Yeah, you can either be uninformed or misinformed. Those are your two options. That's right. Yeah, I, ge- I generally like this. I can't poke any holes thus far. All right, let's proceed then in... Uh, one of the possible ways to deal with this uncertainty is called the precautionary principle. You guys heard of this one? No. Yeah, negative. The, the basic idea is that it's kind of a broad philosophical and often legal approach to innovation where there's a potential for causing harm, um, but there's not extensive knowledge, like scientific knowledge on the matter. It's lacking at that point. So it's like kind of we don't really know the answer, which, you know, uncertainty. Um, it really emphasizes caution, pausing, and reviewing before leaping into new innovations that may prove disastrous. So uh, one of the key tenets is that the burden of proof uh, is about the absence of harm, and it falls on the proposing whoever's proposing the action as opposed to those opposing it that have to prove that it's not harmful. So it's kind of like you're, you're guilty until you prove yourself innocent. Um, in an engineering context, the precautionary principle goes by the name margin of safety, uh, and I think your grandma probably summarized it the best when she said like better safe than sorry, that's, you know, that's the precautionary principle basically. Now, uh, Nassim Taleb is a proponent of this, of this principle. And, you know, he's battled Monsanto about GMO, uh, crops, um, uh, and, and citing the precautionary principle specifically about it. Um, but if we don't know, like we need to be more careful, especially and he, that he, to the people that are starving, but anyway, well, so that's, that's part of it. Um, you know, there's what he says is that this it's a mitigation against black swans of things that could provide like could prove to be ruinous, like completely ruinous, full zeros, um, existential crises. Um, <clears throat> Taleb is he's he's skeptical of the traditional kind of cost benefit analysis that you usually see because it doesn't apply when outcomes have infinite costs. Um, so even a high benefit, high probability outcome uh, that doesn't. It, it, that can't outweigh necessarily the existence of a low probability, infinite cost option. And like, this is kind of what blew up long-term capital management. One, one place I think that he and I would probably agree, and we'd probably agree a decent amount because he's smart and I'm not, and I just defer to him, but um, smart, you're right. I, I, yeah. I, I think a uh, limited liability especially adds a kink to this, right? When you can make like these bets that have massive payoffs to the upside. And then when you have just like total shit happen and you're like, Oh, we'll just fold the company up. That, that cre- oh, yeah, sorry. that's right. That's right. That creates uh, some real incentives that I don't like. Yes. Um, so uh, on the show, you know, we've talked about normal accidents, what quote unquote normal accidents that, um, and, you know, we, we talked about it in the context of nuclear meltdowns. And just a reminder of what that is, it's when you have a connected, tightly coupled, complex system, there's just a greater risk of these errors that accumulate. And they're very, you know, benign errors on their own, but when they accumulate and they connect and then it spins out of control, you lead to these runaway, you know, kind of nonlinear disaster outcomes. So, you know, I think COVID snarling the supply chain is probably one of our, you know, a good recent example that we've all lived through. Um, Tightly coupled, just in time, fragile, right? So the precautionary principle is a useful antidote to a world that's kind of increasingly vulnerable in a lot of ways to these fragilities of normal accidents. And, you know, I think Taleb would say that it really helps, the precautionary principle helps you to separate out what's like a global problem that could be systemic and and potentially, you know, uh, humanity like species threatening versus local ones, which can't spread. And then, you know, you can kind of relax about those a little bit more. So we can draw this then into the kind of world of the portfolio with the precautionary principle in mind. So, of course, Buffett's 
got here first and said, that's rule number one for him. Don't lose money. Right. Um, number and which is basically another way of saying like, don't risk ruin. Uh, don't play Russian roulette, no matter how enticing the odds, like that's what he preaches. Uh, leave a margin of safety in all of your operations. Look for the aggregation of risk. He talks about this a lot when it comes to insurance. Uh, you know, for instance, in your portfolio today, are you more heavily correlated to interest rates than maybe you might otherwise think? Um, and did, did 2022 reveal that for you a little bit potentially with rates moving up and crunching a lot of kind of long dated cash flows? Uh, and then, you know, that last nugget, I think, from Buffett would be like, don't risk what you have and need for what you don't have and don't need. Um, that's kind of a, a version of the precautionary principle. So little little mental tool to add to your toolbox. Uh, glad I could squeeze it in from, from the road for you. <laughs> I like those ideas. I, I got a few comments on that. There was a good, Buffett had a good, he, using that sort of precautionary principle, he realized that he had too much concentration of risk in uh, the World Trade Center in the towers and so you, you know that story a little bit better than i he asked one of the he asked his the insurers to take down some of that can you tell that story yeah uh the telling comes from alice schroeder telling you know probably talking out of school a little bit but um she said that buffett didn't know obviously that terrorists were gonna bomb or uh you know blow up the world trade center but he like you said noticed he was worried about it and the aggregation of risk there. And so he told, he told a G and then he told whoever at the time was running general re that he wanted those contracts wound down, not resigned. Like I want to get out of this. I don't, I don't like the risk. We're not getting paid enough for it. Ajit followed the orders. Whoever it was at general Lee did not. They ended up on the hook for, I think it was a couple billion dollars of losses there. And uh, apparently Buffett was just, furious like cold fury which i've you know I don't, not too many people have ever probably seen that side of him but he, i think he does have that side so that's the story i think he i think if you read the letters from around that period too he's he's he heaps praise on ajit in about 2002 or 2000 one of those year, like the following year he heaps praise on ajit and he's obviously not mentioning the other gentleman because we don't even know his name <clears throat> i uh i was this 1890s insurance thing that I'm researching a bit. I came across this thing. Uh, there was this guy, Wiley and he, uh, Wiley coyote, not, not him. He did not respect okay. risk enough. This was uh New York, New York in the 1890s. And this guy was like, or maybe it was the 1880s, whatever. It was before the big fire in New York. He would not insure any building over 80 feet in height. Because he was like, we can't put the fire out and you're going to be screwed, right? And a lot of PNC companies did take that risk and then they were wiped out. And I, I tweeted out a little passage of this thing that I'm reading. And I said, imagine having the mental flexibility to be both a good underwriter and a good equity investor. And, and then I said, in 40 years, people would probably look at you and reduce you to some levered quality bet like people do to Buffett. <laughs> and, and I think that I think yeah. he's just like the kind of guy that can both see the upside in American Express when it still is not a limited liability company. And he could come to the table with that risk and also look at the world trade and say, we need to reduce our risk here is just like, guys, a freaking genius, man. People may say we nerd out over him. You're all wrong. We People oh, don't talk about under, it enough. Yeah, we're under, he's underappreciated even still somehow. Yeah, the guy's a beast. The one thing that I always struggle with with Taleb's stuff a little bit is he says, no matter how much weight you put into the tails, even if like theoretical weight, there's more weight there. They're like there's just, you, you can't, you can't, idiot, you can't figure out how much weight there should be in those tails. And so it just makes me, it always makes me think a little bit of Pascal's wager. Like if that's the case, then you've got this Pascal's wager type thing. For those who don't know, that's the uh, the great mathematician who said, you know, he, he he came up with this, that the Pascal's wager is the way you should believe, or why you should at least go through the motions like you believe in God. Because if you don't, then your immortal soul is damned to hell. And if you do, then- That's a bad downside. Yeah, that, so that, that's a bad downside. And because that downside- Like God is so doesn't big, know you're thinking about it that way. I guess that you could say that going through the motions- is better than not. 
I don't know. It, you at least you at least you're behaving well. You're not behaving badly. You, you're not you're not sinning at least. But if you but if you're if you're following this rule, like that, doesn't it, you, anytime you encounter anything, like, so then you, you've got someone like Taleb who's saying that the weight in these tales is so great, it's eternal damnation. So you can't afford to ever be, uh, you know, offside with the tales. You have to be always considering the tales. Is that, is that always the case? Is that true? Probably not. I think when the six month treasury gives you north of five, it makes some sense to hold some of it. What if it goes to 10? I mean, I, I, I don't know. That'd be oh, you nice too. Tail insurance, tail insurance. Yeah. Yeah. And like, look, I are so, you know, to the extent that you're, you have an equity mandate and you have to be out there and invested. I don't think that rolling in and out of the market, if you're an equity investor, makes sense. Right. That's not what you're hired for. But like in your own personal portfolio, I think having some of the short term, like risk free, even if you're losing to inflation a little. To mitigate the tails, I mean, makes sense for me. People can do whatever the hell they want. I don't care. I mean, but you know, if 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 I look back and I say, boy, my return wasn't optimized, but I could sleep at night and God forbid a tail event came out, I could actually potentially have big upside from it. Um, you know, especially where like a lot of the stuff is currently trading. I like I don't view a lot of the pretty good companies right now as like get rich stocks. Now you can tell me, well, you buy them and it'll compound for 15% over the next 20 years. 20 years. A lot of shit can happen in 20 years. A Plus lot. Plus it gets a multiple compression. Probably. Yeah. So, you know, like I, I don't think you have to be optimized to a theoretical sort of like, I, I don't know. Now, the other you know, approach, I'm though, sure that's a wrong statement and I know the data does not support it, but I also kind of would like to see the data from these valuation levels. You don't have to approach it like a. You could impro- you could approach it like a value investor and say, "I'm only going to buy these things when they're cheap. I'm not going to buy them when they're expensive." So when when ta- I think when tail insurance gets cheap, Tough, man. it might be worth a little bit. I don't know, and I don't think, I think it has to be that binary. Uh, by the way, to I, be I fair, think when I used to talk to talk about this stuff with Chris Cole. Chris would say that the best time to be long vol is when vol is picking up and spiking because vol. You say like a mix of 20 or something was sort of the sweet yeah. launching pad. But that's it. We might be, we might, you might have to think a little bit more about the, the, the valuation of it. You know, you might be looking more directly at it because it's volatility of volatility. If you're looking at, because you can't trade the VIX directly. So you've got to trade an instrument that is attached to the VIX, which is an option or a future. And there's also volatility in the instrument. So you're looking at the volatility of the volatility. So you can find, even though the VIX might be low, there could be a lot of volatility in it. So you might be overpaying for the, because people can get scared at any point. Like the, the VIX doesn't necessarily reflect the fear in the tail hedging market. Well, would is is Chris, like, would he basically say that the uh, the intuition behind that data is... Like when things are calm, everything is calm, but until the storm hits, right? And then when it hits, people like panic incrementally. And I would imagine people still that- underestimate. They still underestimate how far it will go. Is what I think what he says that the tails become sort of exponential. Yeah, that makes some sense. I, I think that makes sense. I think there's a few. Different and then the ways Fed to... comes out with a Fed zuka, and then get long, long hard. Yeah, levers. A few approaches that make sense with respecting the, all this uncertainty that can exist with, you know, how fat are the tails. Um, one school of thought is aim for extreme diversification where you just try to own everything and like get non-correlated return streams as much as possible and then let the chips fall where they might. Um, I'm not as attracted to that because I, you know, you end up with what seems to me like, you know, you own a lot of expensive stuff also a lot of the time um, for, for better or worse, like it's hard for me to get over that mentally. Um, and then I think, you know, the biggest thing that tells me is like, you have to be able to play out your hand no matter what markets do. So markets go crazy. They're going to go crazy. Economics can go crazy. Our economies can go crazy. Um, you, no thing should be able to force you to have to liquidate, to have to margin call, whatever it is that, could blow you up. And otherwise, you know, if you keep a little bit of cash, you 
you know, you own businesses and you understand the businesses that you own and they're not existentially threatened for the most part. Um, you know, I, there's not a whole lot of ways that you can really screw it up too, too bad. I don't think as long as you're not overpaying, as long as you know what you own, um, don't stay away from leverage as much as possible, including inside the companies um, and your portfolio. And, and if anything, I think you become somewhat anti-fragile then to the world and, you know, you're then seeking opportunities when they do arise. So at least that's my, my biased uh, version of it. Yeah. I, I like that approach. There's, there's two, um, two little things. I'm probably like balls mention. long one factor and don't know it and I'll get wiped out well, because of it. Thanks. <laughs> you, you can't, you can't, you've got, you've definitely got some blind spot in there somewhere, right? We all yeah. do. You just don't know what it is until after the fact. And then you're like, yeah, that was obvious. Not enough crypto. Not huh. enough crypto, exactly. Yeah. Something like that. Or shit codes. I mean, not enough. Not enough. I own a lot code. of shit codes. They're just not the ones that catch a bid. The wrong ones. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. How did you miss? I don't know. I, oh, wow. I know that everybody likes the uh, the value spread update. So the value spread came mm. crashing in from June, uh, from May to June, end May to end June. This is the Alpha Architect one that they measure. Uh, it looks to me like there might be a little data error in there. I haven't said this to the to the guys, but it, it's come in so much, um, and I don't think that the underlying. I was going to ask: leg... Is it been the fundamentals or the price that has changed to cause this heightening? Well, there, there was, a, there, you know, there has been. June was pretty good for value, and half of July has been pretty good for value, but not to the extent that, like, if you look at it, it looks like it's come in like a two thousand or a two thousand and nine type move, which you would have felt. I'm pretty sure. So <laughs> when you're looking at it every day, like you are, <laughs> I, I would have felt it. I, I can uh, tell you that. Yeah. You probably would have heard me from from Sacramento. Well, yeah. you could have you could have earnings rollover, right? And then the multiple goes up. Right. Right. But, and and the reverse, yeah. Yeah. I, I, <laughs> so bunch so that of, bunch of banks uh, in there getting squeezed by net interest margin and earnings evaporating. Maybe it's the energy. But that wouldn't come tonight. through yet, I don't think, right? That's that's kind of the the one. Yeah, they're just I'd be interested to, to see after this quarter. The the banks do seem to be doing pretty well, I think. Uh, let's just see over the past year. I've got QVAL up here against the SPY and the Qs. Oh, I mean, the past 12 months, the Qs have done 37%. QVAL has done 18. So I guess it's not, total- it's not against, it's not against the Qs because it's, it's not against the, because it's the, the, oh, the yeah, value spread right. in this We've one is against how they do this. It's the median, median. stock. So it's yeah. f- the 1500 largest stock. So it's the median stock, which is the 750th stock. And then it's the the median stock of the value decile. So the value 75th decile is 10%. Cheapest. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. I forgot that I totally forgot that. So it's seventy five versus seven hundred and fifty. I, I don't know how. Much I mean, even if you even if you do quality, like value's done twenty, QVAL's done twenty percent, quality's done twenty five, the Qs have done thirty seven, the spies have done exactly what QVAL's done, more or less. I don't know. Hard to hard to see how the spreads come in, but what do I know? Nothing. Yeah. So so, so it's it's the it's the index. Yeah, index against. Yeah, I don't know. But the index then against spy is not that spy is also not that. It's the fifteen hundred, not the five hundred, and the fifteen and the five hundred has been heavily concentrated in the yeah, magnificent like seven or whatever we're calling or whatever it, it is. Those guys have carried all the weight, haven't they? And I, yeah. I, I certainly think it's the the smaller the stock, the worse it's done. Although it does seem to turn, maybe it's turned a little bit recently. I don't know. Rhymes with what I'm seeing. When I say recently, I mean probably since Monday. <laughs> Value uh, rallies are very short. Yeah, these are reverse muskiers. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> I can't believe how well Tesla's. Done. I mean, not that I can't believe it. I, I believe it, but uh, it's just—it's amazing. It's relentlessly bid. They'll go on until it doesn't. Who knows well, when it won't? To be like, it is—it is free cash flow generative now. It's got a whole. Um, the financials are quite impressive, actually. Uh, you know, if you believe them, then the people that don't, <laughs> you can go down that road if you want. But I don't think uh, it's that's... a fraud, is it? It's just, it's too big. 
it's unreliable just, it's just too much going on number two of five on the uh... sir can i remind you of world common enron those were fairly large as well i'm not saying that it's that for the record i'm just saying i wouldn't i wouldn't say it's too big therefore it's not a fraud but i mean there's there's so much tangible evidence like i can drive around the hill where i live oh yeah and, yeah and it's like i could probably leapfrog from tesla to tesla and Get Never touch the ground. Day. Just, just <laughs> run across the roofs. Yeah. Look, I, th- I think yeah. the more interesting conversation here is if you want to get long EVs from here, uh, and you believe that the energy transition is coming, you know, it, it, it's going. It appears maybe what I hear is wrong and what I've read is wrong, but um, it, it appears as though there's a lot of tight commodity companies out there that would should benefit from this transition and you know i guess uh this is thoughts bound to make you poor but do you want to <laughs> do you want to play a derivative in a cheap stock on the same trend or do you want to play kind of the obvious thing that has you know made people generationally wealth wealthy some people right so uh yeah. like that, first order thinking or second or third that's always how, how deep question, do you want right? to go? Yeah. What about Kavana? Well, I don't know. I tried I mean, to sell my car to them and they gave me a weak offer, so they will not be getting it. Well, that's, I mean, that's, that, that's, you might use that, you might good, use right? it to, to transact and not to own the stock, but the stock's up 750%. And I've seen a few people who are saying, who, who are like, it's, it's like a third of the way to what it's worth. It's a wild know, chart, not, depending on what you, how do you like yeah. you're stopping and in points like if That's you go it. year to date it's like oh my god rocket ship add another year to that like uh kind of flat add another t- two years to it oh my god you've been murdered <laughs> it's, it's uh whatever you want in it yeah there's yeah. enough there's enough going on in that stock and that company that i will be perfectly happy watching the outcome and not owning any of it it's a great sideline stock yeah and you know that that can be the answer Get your popcorn and see how the see how it finishes. Yeah, I agree with that. That's that's before we came on. That's exactly how I was thinking about it too. Because I had a little look at it at the start of the year when it was bombed out, and then I just couldn't get over the. I don't want to say I, management, but don't I like get making money or what? <laughs> yeah, I guess so. I will say, like the guys that are long it in size, that you know had the world shitting on them, and you know it, it would. I have a little bit of me that roots for the the people that can take pain stick in a position and then be proven right at the end. So, so given that I think the shorts had the chance to make their money, like the way the, it would be nice to see it work out. Uh, I am not smart enough to know whether or not it will and understand the, the unit economics down the road and whether or not you can trust everyone involved. That's other people can make those decisions. But I, but I like guys that stick in positions that go against them and then are ultimately proven and and women. I shouldn't make it a man thing. Is guys no. is guys gendered? Could be I women that identify as men, for all I know. Oh, we definitely do not want to go down that. I'm just that saying pathway on this podcast. We're still trying to get over the COVID the COVID bump. Here here's a question. Here's one that's yeah. bound to get people. Actually, maybe it won't get people mad. I got my wife mad at me. I was sitting next to a man. Hey, we run out of time. Sorry. Yeah, I'm not gonna. Yeah. I'm not even gonna say it. I'm not even gonna say it. I'll hold it till Aww. after. No, nah, I don't want to get into it. I just, you know, I just, I don't know. I thought I had a legit comment, but apparently no, it was. No, let's not. Let's not do it. All right, can't, noted. You can't win. I don't can't often win. bite my tongue, but what I said to my dad is, I was like, you know, some people think I don't have a filter, but they don't understand how much I filter. Yeah, you know how bad it is up here. <laughs> yeah, it's hard to live in. <laughs> Anyway, who's got questions other than what was the story going to be? It's hard to, I, I still feel like, I do feel like we're, and I'm, I'm probably perpetually saying this, so it doesn't really matter, but I do feel like we're, we're still mid bounce. Like we're still, we're still below our all time high by material amount. Fear and greed is very, very greedy, which has typically been close to that, that you look at. It's been, it's been, sustained very greedy for a while and extreme sustained extreme greed for longer than it ordinarily has been. Hmm. I don't know. Look, 
the nice thing about commenting on the market is you can argue it either way. If I was if I wanted to present a really bearish take, I'd say like, you know, the market exists to make the greatest amount of fools out of the greatest amount of people. And wouldn't it be super poetic if it sucked everybody back in right before a real heartbreaker? One real flush. Yeah, like that would be really a beautiful thing to see from a watching just psychology crush people standpoint. I hope we get to come back to this one because I think that's what's going to happen. And if I wanted to be a bull, I'd say it's a bull market, baby. Get long. Inning isn't three. That, oh, boy. Inning. Isn't that, though, what the, I mean, what, Is it safe? When we, didn't we count there were 17 or 18 rallies within oh, 2000 yeah. to yeah. 2020, 2002? This three. is probably blown through any of those in terms of its size. Magnitude. I think the biggest one was 43%, and I think this one's now well past that. Oh. Although in 1999, I, the market almost rallied all the way back to its all-time high before it really, and it, that was a year later from its peak, it almost rallied all the way back to the all-time like high. Like it was, and then... Yeah, and then... The, then well, the that's how it started. should work, right? Before like a real soul-crushing sell-off, right? Yeah. Everybody's got to feel like, oh, I missed it. And then they have to get in and My then it's got to just, yeah, kill them. I mean, that's, it would be beautiful in a sick way. I mean, it is, doesn't, well, maybe this is my own BS talking, but it didn't feel like full capitulation in no. 2022, did it? No. I don't know, man. It was not. It was not. Be, yeah, but the underlying, there were some things that were slaughtered. But they, they'd also participated a lot. Of, you know, there's two things going on, right? There was that the arc complex of like overvalued profitless companies that topped out in February and then got crushed. Speaking of which, she's, she's it, had a really good recovery as well. So. I was going to say it would also be yeah, beautiful if she ends up being the smartest person in the room. That would that would blow my my mind. She Ooh. missed NVIDIA, but she's had a fair bit of Tesla. She's been lightening up her Tesla, I saw. There you go. What? It's full time. Yeah, we made it. It's... Shout out to Kathy. Yeah, number one, Kathy. number one ratings driver. <laughs> yeah, we're give inversely credit, proportional. She's, she's tough. She's tough, Kathy. I hope she keeps on going. I hope she's around for a while. I uh, do. Thanks, everybody. We'll see you next week.